1: we use the analogy of if I cut myself and I have the right set and setting, meaning I clean the wound, the wound edges are approximated. Maybe I have an expert look at it, make sure I don't need stitches. The body will naturally heal. And it's the same with the psyche. If we provide the right set and setting and an expert guiding, right, then the psyche will bring to the forefront what needs to be healed, right? And that's not always a pleasant mystical experience, just FYI. (laughs) Like sometimes it's these challenging experiences that are actually the most productive.
0: You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 464 with guest Anna Verzone. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast Hey everyone. welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. I had COVID you guys for the first time, and it's been a few weeks, but I really feel like my voice isn't totally back to uh, normal uh, during the interview. It was pre-COVID, so it'll be its normal state, but right now it's still still having a hard time coming back. And I guess it just takes a lot of rest and time and lots of water and all of those things that we know that we're supposed to to do. I am excited to bring you Ana Verzone. She is someone who I have known forever and has been on the show a long, long time ago. It's I definitely in the first 100 episodes. I can't remember what number exactly and I I hesitate to put the link in the show notes because I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I was still I was still getting my podcast host feet wet. And I get a little like, ugh, with those first hundred episodes. Hadn't really, you know, found my expertise in in this in this arena. But anyway, it's fine. It's fine, right? We all we all have our first time about stuff like that. And another thing I'm noticing post COVID, my brain isn't all the way. With me. I'm not still having a hard time finding the right words. I'm still um finding it hard to just have a cohesive thought and all those things. So it was my first time with COVID. It was it's, it was my first time. So I'm being gentle with myself. Y'all, there are still, I think, two spots left in our September retreat, headed out to Asheville, North Carolina, doing the daring way curriculum. If you want to join us, head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat. All the information is there for you, so you can grab one of those last few spots. And let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Ana Verzone is a master life coach, altered states guide, and host of the Rebel Buddhist podcast. She is devoted to helping yogis and wannabe Buddhas create an unconventional life of true freedom inside and out. She has over 21 years of experience as a nurse, midwife, and professor. Honor received a doctorate in nursing, two master's degree, a degree in clinical psychology, certification in applied positive psychology, and a postdoctorate in psychiatric mental health nursing from Johns Hopkins University. She has also completed fellowships in psychedelic-assisted therapy. And finally... Anna has been a mentor to adventurous women like you for over 23 years. So without further ado, here is Anna. <laughs> Anna, welcome back. Thank you. I know it's been a minute. Okay, so I was I was looking because I'm like, I know I've had her on before. When was it? You were episode 37 and now we're in well into the 400s.
1: Holy Crap! I you were one, on like podcast, you were like top so fifty. Like that's how far we
0: go back. <laughs> oh, I should have had you on sooner, but no, here we are. Here we are, and I'm excited about the the topic because you and I, I probably said this in the first episode that you were on. That I think out of all of my colleagues, I think you have the most certifications and degrees and trainings of anyone. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that could show how deeply embedded imposter syndrome has been in my life, but yeah. <laughs>
0: you are the consummate student. Um your bio is so long and I love that about you. And and so we went back and forth like, well, what do you want to come on and talk about because there's so many different topics that you are an expert on. So we settled on psychedelics and spirituality. So, okay. You know what I'm, I'm, I'm selfishly curious about what brought you here? Like what made you like wake up one morning and be like, you know what? I want to, I want to train and learn and get certified in this particular work.
1: I, yeah, I love that question because I've actually been interested in psychedelics for decades, right? Like Uh my first experience with psychedelics was when I was fifteen. I did LSD when I was 15, and it really changed my life. And I had, um, in in the sense that at a very young age, I had an experience where I realized the way I perceived the world might not be how it actually was, Mm -hmm. and that how my perceptions went through a bunch of filters, and how there was more than what I was capable of seeing at the time, and just kind of you know, when when you're that impressionable of an age and are told that like the world as you see it may not be as it really is, and you continue to question that for the rest of your life. I mean, here I am, a life coach, right? Right. <laughs> it's sort of like, like this is what we do. We're like, hey, how you think about things may not be how it actually is, and it doesn't have to stay that way. So, um, over the decades, I'd always had personal interest in it, and then. As I got more into mental health, I um, would start to become more aware of how many of my patients had, because I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner as well, had um, an existential crisis at the core of a lot of their suffering. Sort of like, why am I here? Why mm-hmm. me? Like, Why am I important in this world? What is my purpose? And as I started exploring um, some of the research. You know, I'm a practicing Buddhist, so I've been meditating since 1993. And a lot of actually Buddhist practitioners have a long history with psychedelics. And I started kind of diving down that rabbit hole and realized that Stan Groff was married to Roshi Joan, who's a Zen um, Roshi. And I was discovering, wow, you know, psychedelics actually have had a big role in mental health for a very long time before they were made illegal. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of saw on the horizon that they were going to become legalized for mental health at some point because they were so effective and because we're really failing, you know, our mental health patients right now. Oh, in many yes. ways, mm-hmm. And I decided, you know, I want to be at the leading edge of this. I want to start getting trained in this so that I can bring this to people as soon as it's available and there's also other countries that I've gone to and led retreats in where it is legal, and states where some are legalized and and whatnot and so but my personal interest really goes back to the use of psychedelics as entheogens so psychedelics are a class of psychoactive substances that can change our perception, our mood, our cognitive processes. They affect our senses, the way we think, our sense of time and emotions. But entheogens are a substance that are typically of plant origin that are taken to produce a non-ordinary state of consciousness for religious or spiritual purposes. And that's where I was like, wow, that is where I really um, find my own personal interest lying because there's so much potential there. And a whole lot of history um, in many different land-based cultures, indigenous cultures, with the use of psychedelics for spiritual purposes. Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't realize there was categories and subcategories. Like I thought it was just like you know, all psychedelics, like LSD, ecstasy, um, ayahuasca, mushrooms. Like I thought it was all just like piled in together. But mm. from what you're saying, that's it's not that simple.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you you know, there's also atypical psychedelics like, you know, MDMA is kind of thrown in there, but it's not a classical psychedelic, MDMA or ecstasy, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Some people felt that cannabis wasn't a true psychedelic, but now we're seeing it does have psychedelic properties. So, yeah, there are different categories, but mostly like with the entheogenic application, it's more what's your intention with use, and is it for spiritual um, purposes? Then so can kind of put
0: that on. okay. So yeah, like let's let's t- talk about me- mental health for a little bit. Like, what do people typically? Maybe it's two questions. Like, a, what do people typically seek out psychedelics for? And like, okay, minus fifteen-year-olds doing it in nineteen ninety-three, like, <laughs> right? At a, um, like at a punk concert or whatever. Um, oh, versus like people who you know that are into personal development, like what are, what are they actually looking for when they make the decision to do that? And second part of the question or a separate question, is it mostly for mental health? Um, like they're looking for some kind of solution to a mental health challenge they have. <laughs> Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use earn for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make earn a part of your financial routine and join earn over 3.5 million customers who say things like, Earnen is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC.
2: If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, so,
1: you know, the research um, that was done in the earlier decades, you, you know, like in the 60s in particular, and early 70s, and even into the 50s, and, in, in some countries, like, it was really helping us gain insight into how the brain works. It was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. oh, are we basically mimicking psychosis? And can this information help us treat it, for example? Um, but then, as some people may or may not know, the research got kind of cavalier, a bit cowboyish, and then uh, mm-hmm. made made Ill- illegal at one point. But there was a strong body of research that showed great benefit with specific psychedelics and specific contexts for things like treatment-resistant depression, addiction, like yeah. um, substance use disorders. Um, and so- there is a difference between recreational use and intentional use. So when you are participating in recreational use, you often don't have control over the purity of what you're getting. I mean, there are organizations now like dance safe, which have kits that you can order to help test if your products actually tainted with anything or contaminated with anything. Um, But recreational use, we don't have as much control over the dosing over the purity um, and over the environment, right? Um, oftentimes when you hear about these bad trips, um, it's in this context of a poorly controlled environment, social stressors going on. And so, in an intentional use, there's a very different environment where, you know, um, it's not the, the goal isn't to just have a good time. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good time, like mm-hmm. there's no judgment about that. But in terms of what is intentional use, um people so in terms of ketamine for example that has been um approved by the fda for treatment resistant depression and some of this research, Isn't that a horse that tranquilizer on, i thought that was a horse tranquilizer like
0: not <laughs> for human use so
1: ketamine you know when i was an er nurse we used it for conscious sedation for resetting bones and things like that uh-huh. in the er and so when i heard about it being used for mental health i was like really <laughs> um but what was interesting was, yeah, when they were using it for conscious sedation, people would notice, people with depression would notice an improvement in symptoms. Mm. And so that's what's kind of happening right now. Like the, the, the research with psychedelics has to choose a very sympathetic population, right? So right now, um, more veterans with PTSD um, as well as end of life. Mm -hmm. studies. Um, And so people are like, okay, we have a high sympathy for those populations. We'll let psychedelics be studied in those populations. But as the research has been so promising, it's now expanding out to depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I've Um,
0: seen some of the studies on it. I've I've looked for them actually. Yeah,
1: Yeah, there's a lot. There's actually really great potential with, for example, like neurogenerative diseases um, because Mm -hmm. of the potential for psychedelics for neuroplasticity, like growing you know new neuronal connections mm-hmm. which is amazing not many things can do that and um, and with autism even and um, so many amazing potential benefits so people come you know for many reasons my clients often come with more of an existential uh, crisis or intention of wanting to find out you know what is their purpose on this planet like mm-hmm. why am i here like i like even if you know you like I've had clients even who are like surgeons or midwives or coaches and they, they, they feel like, yes, I kind of have an idea of what I'm supposed to be doing, but it doesn't feel like my, it doesn't feel like mine, like my unique purpose. Mm-hmm. And that can actually create a lot of existential angst for people. Right. And more, more than we're willing to admit as a culture, we have no rights of passage, for example, that, um, in, in the West that many yeah. other cultures do, you know, the right of passage is getting your license, you're getting to drink alcohol. It's really, this is, this is our rites of passage. Yeah. So when you are in an intentional setting, you, many of you may have heard of like set and setting. So that's the mindset of the client coming in the mindset of the practitioner or the guide, what they're bringing to the table, what their expectations are, what their fears and anxieties might be. And then um, the setting, you know, if you've looked at most of the psychedelic research settings, they're very home-like environments. They're not like in a very clinical, Mm -hmm. sterile environment. Mm -hmm. They try to make it as homey as possible and comfortable. It's a a controlled environment. Like with my clients, I'll be like, is there anything in the room that might be triggering? Let's move it. Let's change it. We want it to be a really safe space for clients, right? And then we also want to think about the... um, the skill set of the guide. So now we've gone beyond set and setting and realized, Hey, there's also the skill set of the guide that can handle um, when challenging experiences come up or that can read a client's experience. Cause some people may not be talking, but be struggling and being able to pick up on that and um, awareness of the different medicines. So that's the next thing. Like, is the substance, the correct substance? So different psychedelics have different qualities So I think the future of it's going to be, well, what's your intention and which medicine is suitable for that? Like Mm -hmm. psilocybin lends itself really well to existential crises, which is why it's one of my favorites, you know, in the hop, the research at Johns Hopkins, where I did my Postdoctorate program is showing really great results with existential crises um, in people with terminal diagnoses or end of life, and we can see how this applies to people without terminal diagnoses. Like, don't we all have existential? Yeah, eventually. Yeah,
0: sorry. right. Get to and midlife, so, and you
1: if right? you haven't had one yet, <laughs> we'll save you a right? seat. Right, <laughs> and then and then the the dosing matters, like what doses? is it at? Is that appropriate for the intention? You know, for example, the ketamine assisted therapy doses, those are relatively low so that mm-hmm. you are able to talk during it and have a therapy session during it versus a full-on psychedelic experience that's very internal, right?
0: So the psilocybin, that's um, mushrooms, correct?
1: Right. And yes, I know that's a very mushrooms, broad term. Mushrooms. Yeah. Yes.
0: That there's exactly. lots of different kinds of mushrooms. Um, my experience, I've, so I've never done any kind of hallucinogenic, like LSD or MDMA. And I'm, to be honest, because I'm an addict, I'm glad that I didn't, especially ecstasy. Like, I think I really would have fallen in love with that a little bit too much. I did mushrooms in the early nineties, mid nineties, and I had really great experiences with it. Some, mm-hmm. of, the, some of the best times I had with friends, word on mushrooms. Um, I have no idea where we got them. You know, like I was a teenager. Well, right. yeah, I was like an older teenager. And, but honestly, like, but I understand, I love what you're talking about. Like get a kit that tells you what you're getting, where you can test it or do it in the right setting. If you have the the resources and the means to do that, because you could be getting anything really, I don't know. Are there bad mushrooms? Like, could you, does such a thing
1: exist? Yeah. So I think that's a really good question. And, you know, with mushrooms, they can't, they should be prepared correctly. Cause if they're dried inappropriately, you can have toxic molds on them and whatnot. Okay. Right? But there's also different types of mushrooms, like some where, you know, somebody who's uh psychedelic naive could take an, uh, big mushroom with a cap and be fine. And other ones where they're so much more potent. So you do want to know like, well, what kind is this? Uh You know, what can I expect and how much should I take? Like that's ideal. Right. But, but the other thing I want to emphasize that that you sort of mentioned here, that's different in the intentional setting is the integration. Like what's the situation after the Mm -hmm. psychedelic experience, because you can have a very powerful experience But is it changing how you act in day-to-day life? Is it changing how you show up in relationships? Is it changing how you run your business, how Mm -hmm. you raise your kids, how you treat yourself when you have a hard time? And that is, I think, where we see a lot of great benefit with this structure. Like, you know, how I I do not, a lot of people email me and they're like, can I just come? I don't want to do your whole six-month program. I just want to have a guided trip. And I'm like, no, because that sounds like you just want to get high. House. Like, come on. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to safely yeah. get high. Well, and some people <laughs> think that that's all they need. Like, I just want to have an amazing experience because Call of they all are my so problems. Powerful. Yeah. But the bond, like I watched this one ayahuasca documentary. And this guy who did regular ayahuasca retreats, you know, he came back from one, the cameras are like following him to his house. And he's like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. He's talking to his wife. He's like, oh babe, I had the most amazing experience. Oh, this is just going to change everything. And he goes into another room and they kind of pan to his wife and she rolls her eyes and she's like, I've heard that before. Oh, like, yeah, it's like, you can he was on a retreat high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. can have these amazing experiences, but if you don't have like an integration coach or an integration therapist, like guiding you, yep. it's probably not going to make it into your day to day life. I see what you're That's saying. When we get mm-hmm. people wanting to go on experience after experience, after experience, after experience, and then that is more of an escape, right? That's okay. more of a, I don't want to deal with life. Like I've had clients who have a history of alcohol Uh, use disorder. And they've been questioning, like, well, should I do psychedelics? And like, is this Mm -hmm. not a good idea for me? And what I'll say is, I screen very carefully, I work with their uh, sponsor. And it's very clear, like, this is on my terms, like, I'm (laughs) telling them, like, how we're going to do this. And um, I know very well, just because of my experience, like, are you wanting to do this again, or you know now just to get high and escape? Or is this a step in the healing? Right, right. Because like, if you're tr- like, my opinion is my personal experience as well is like, if you have a an psychedelic experience that's integrated, most of the studies show you need one, two, maybe three. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like. Um, and, and if, if you're actually integrating and that doesn't mean you can't do it more often if you want, but you shouldn't need to. You shouldn't need to. Okay. (laughs) There was, um, I watch,
0: we really like David Letterman's show. I think it's on Netflix. My next guest needs no introduction. And he had Will Smith on, I think in the last season. And I don't know, Will Smith might've written about this in his book. I haven't read it yet, but he talks about going on ayahuasca retreats and he went 15 times. And I was like, why? Like that was my first thing came out of my mouth. And I'm like, what did you not get the previous 14 times that you, or do you just have like so much money? You're like, you know what? I am going to go do this thing because I want to run away from my life. And, and I, but I, I get what he's saying because I think I probably talked about this on the podcast before a couple of years ago, or maybe it was over COVID. I can't remember. There was a documentary where they were talking it must have been a different documentary than you were talking about, but they were they were documenting some people who had gone on some ayahuasca retreats. Most of them had a great experience. I think there might have been like one person who was having a struggle. But I saw that and I was, and then I started thinking about doing it myself. And I'm like, I want to go and have this like magical spiritual experience. Like, I want to go do this. And I was talking to one of my friends who's also in recovery. And then I realized shortly after, and I'm like, you know what? It must've been over COVID because that's when my mental health took a shit. And I told her, I think I just want to get high. I think I just want to run away from my life. And so now all this time later, and I've, I've looked into it, obviously I'm having you in the show. I'm still, um, I'm still looking into it and talking to people who are in recovery, who have used psychedelics for trauma healing. And I can honestly say now that it's, I'm leaning way more on the side of, and I like that you say that like three times max of yes, people in recovery can do it. So what I, all this to say, I would be looking for some like spiritual healing. Cause there's still some right. stuff. Exactly. And I would also be lying if I said like, Oh, I don't care at all that. I get a chance to like run away from my feelings for a little bit. But I also know that like, I might think I'm running away from my feelings, but I'm probably running straight into the belly of the beast. <laughs> yeah. So it's all of those things. It's all of those things. I just have to be incredibly honest with myself about my intentions
1: I was just thinking, wouldn't it be funny if with our coaching programs, we were like, and you have to do our mastermind 15 times. Like like people would be like, what's wrong with it that I have to do it 15 times? Isn't the point
0: so I get better and I don't have to do this anymore? Like,
1: yeah, I just want to clarify. And I, I want to, I so want to make this clear to everyone. I don't believe that psychedelics are necessary for spiritual growth. they're not um, for everyone. I mean, yeah, I'm they are. Yeah, they are not for everyone. And you don't need them. Like I've been meditating since 1993. Oh, my God, that's like almost 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've met meditation practitioners, you know, I've had Tibetan teachers, and I've met people who have gotten there without anything. And here's what I do know. So I like to describe psychedelics like this. So our brain is sort of a fresh snow hill and we're born with this fresh hill of snow. And we start taking a sled ride down the hill, right? We make all these decisions. We choose our thoughts. We go down different paths down the snow hill. But eventually we start taking the same paths a little more frequently. And then eventually some of them are deeper grooves such that if we're in our sled and we're trying to go down a different way, we're going to eventually like go into the deeper groove again. It's like, it's so hard to take a different path, even if we want to. But psychedelics are like a fresh snowfall. They fill in those grooves and help make taking a different path, a different perspective, um, different choices a bit easier because of having provided that fresh snowfall. And they also provide like, so the way I really see it with spiritual practice is there is no shortcut to anything. Y'all we figure figured that out by now, right? Can mm-hmm. we all agree in yeah. the 400th, whatever episode that there is no <laughs> shortcut yes. to anything. And so psychedelics sort of provide, a glimpse of the top of the mountain. It's like a helicopter ride to the top of the mountain so that you can see the view and you go, Oh, this is what it's for. This is why I get on my cushion and meditate. This is why I prioritize getting good sleep. This is why I make my mental health so important because this is what's possible. And when you see it and have a like visceral. Experience of it and know it's true because you feel it as a knowing, not as mm-hmm. like you're watching a movie and maybe it's true. It's like, this is so true. That makes the commitment to your daily spiritual practice, to um, your personal growth, that much easier to commit to. And so I think, you know, the escape to that. Can be beneficial in the sense of it is an escape, but like you said, it's running into the belly of the beast of truth. Yeah. And you get there and you see the truth, and that can be so powerful. You said it much more lovingly than I did.
0: (laughs) 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 Same, same.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Tell us about the heart, the quote unquote, hard work that you talk about where you can really get the benefits, um, or, you know, have that spiritual insight that you talk about, like what else is there probably talking about, like after you use psychedelics or even during the experience of psychedelics, like what else is happen? What else needs to happen?
1: Yeah. So we're not, you know, um, Oh, I I think what this is lending itself to in terms of the process to integration, right? So this is why if you look at all of the psychedelic research or most of the psychedelic research, it's a medicine session. So the psychedelics are often called medicine. Um, So the, the medicine session and then three integration sessions. And then another medicine session and three integration sessions, and then maybe a third. The only ones where they've been shown that maybe just one is necessary is with end of life clients with a, a end of life anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: just one episode can really help to uh, alleviate that. But that, so I think that really goes to show, and any. Patient that's been through a psychedelic study will say this is not a panacea. Like you still need to go to therapy or get yeah. coached or have that integration. You still need to make those difficult decisions and have those challenging conversations in mm-hmm. your life and take those risks. And you know, for for me, for my form of spiritual practice, like meditation is a big part of it. Going on retreat is a big part of it. So prioritizing that and. When So during a psychedelic session, some people might have ideas of because of their recreational experience. Well, like, so I'll be running around on the beach. Like, so on if, if we're doing it in Hawaii, am I running around on a beach and like swimming naked with dolphins and stuff? And it's like, first of all, no, like, that's <laughs> not what's happening. It's a very safe environment. You know, usually people have on an eye mask, they're listening to music, they have a blanket. And um, it's a very internal experience. And I may ask questions because we will have done significant preparation and screening ahead of time. So that's the other thing. Like we said, psychedelics are not for everyone. You have, like, I believe in appropriate medical and psychiatric screening because there are contraindications. And there's conditions for which they're not going to help. So, like, let's not pretend they are. And so, um, but after, so then during the session, we're having... Potentially, sometimes it's very quiet, but sometimes we're having some conversations at certain points in the journey. But really, we're trusting what's known as you know the inner healing wisdom. So that's a big part of psychedelic um, guiding, is helping the client trust their inner healing wisdom, and as a guide, not getting all in it and being like I'm going to save the day. Like mm-hmm. the the, the mm-hmm. client's inner healing wisdom is what will bring what they need to heal to the forefront. Like we use the analogy of if I cut myself and I have the right set and setting, meaning I clean the wound, the wound edges are approximated. Maybe I have an expert look at it, make sure I don't need stitches, the body will naturally heal. And it's the same with the psyche. If we provide the right set and setting and an expert guiding, right, then the 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 psyche will bring to the forefront what needs to be healed. Right. And that's not always a pleasant mystical experience. Just Right. FYI. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Right. 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 Like, There's like vomiting. Sometimes it's and, these yeah.
1: challenging experiences that are actually the most productive. And then, so the, the mm-hmm. hard work is the integration after, and, you know, in my case, you know, sticking to your meditation practice, even when it feels boring and difficult and challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you ever come across a case where I'm sure this probably happens. Um, because i i you know i had a doctor tell me once that i was medication resistant when like two antidepressants weren't helping me um i have a feeling it's because i actually had a thyroid issue and not <laughs> it wasn't actually depressed but anyway i know that there are some people who that kind of becomes their quote unquote official diagnosis they are medication resistant and they walk away feeling so incredibly defeated like they're broken and i can i can assume that for many psychedelics would be kind of a last resort like this hail mary if you will cuz it is i think for many especially living in a in a culture where a lot of these drugs are still illegal in many states it's a little risky so all I, I'm all this lead up, my point is like I'm assuming there are people who are like, Okay, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I feel like this is kind of my last resort. But so do you have people where they walk out of these experiences saying that was a really fun high, but I don't feel any better. I mean, given that yeah. they've done some of the integration, like where it just
1: doesn't really stick, if you will? yeah, so um, you you know there is um, a difference between the my mental health patients and then the ones coming for the more uh, purpose driven uh, goals in in the sense of the the treatment approach right mm-hmm. so when when I have um, clients that have come with the diagnosis of treatment resistant depression first I like to remind everyone and everyone listening like medications can be life saving and amazing and powerful and they actually don't work very well (laughs) Yeah. considering like maybe we'll see uh, like quantitative differences in a measurement, but is it clinically relevant? Like, are they actually happier in life? Are they actually Mm -hmm. like feeling Mm -hmm. better or are we just looking at points on a scale that's statistically significant? Right. So they, like we are, like I said in the beginning, miserably failing mental health patients with our medication approaches right now. And yes, I have seen clients come for ketamine assisted therapy because that is what is legal and covered by insurance right now, um, who very much struggle with um coming to into complete remission. Right. Mm-hmm. And by legal
0: and, and um covered by insurance, do you mean just in the
1: United States? In just in the United States and okay. in all 50 states. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So because in some states, you know, maybe it's not covered by insurance, but but you could use psilocybin or you could use cannabis for for example. So I I have seen clients with that, but you you know, I don't think I think we have to remember in medicine we generally use this concept of the rule of thirds. Like a, any treatment or any patient or client of yours, a third are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, that was amazing. It solved all my problems." A third are going to be like that was pretty cool. It did help. It didn't Mm -hmm. make it go away completely, but it was pretty good. And a third are going to be like, not for me, um, or it didn't do anything. And I think that's true of anything that works, which is beautiful, which is why we have so many different medicines, so many different kinds of practitioners. And I have, um, so that's why I feel like screening is really important because I don't want to tell a patient, Hey, this is going to really help if it's not, or if I don't think it will. And I just also want to preface if you have the mindset of this better worker I'm screwed that is a lot of pressure right for you on yourself for the on medicine. the practitioner yeah mm-hmm. right and it's really important to work on that before actually even having the session it's like okay, okay. wait a minute like and so you know that's why I involve you know, at least a month of preparation before we even have the medicine session, because we have to talk about all those things. What are our expectations? Because the reality is, they're probably not screwed if it doesn't work. But, but you know, like let's talk about that, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and let's let's go there. So, with the ketamine, yeah, we have preparation sessions and all of that. I, I will say, from the existential um, mystical experience perspective, the the rate of quote unquote failures a lot lower because okay. we have shown many studies show that people that especially psilocybin at a specific dose can lead to reliably to a mystical experience and the studies on spirituality and psilocybin have shown that at, like clients that have had that mystical experience do show sustained benefits in their spiritual practice And Mm -hmm. in their spiritual life, including how others perceive them, which I think is huge because so much of this could be like, yeah, I think I'm amazing now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like in that documentary, the wife's like, yeah, right. But (laughs) but a lot of the more recent studies are actually assessing people's community members, like their
0: family members or
1: friends. And they're like, has this person actually changed? And we're seeing really good results with that, which I think is pretty courageous to include. And yeah.
0: That's exciting that the research is expanding so much, and I noticed when I looked into it, it seemed to be predominant in a handful of states throughout the United States, and there wasn't a whole lot near me. I think there might have been like one at Duke University, um, but I didn't qualify or something like that. So um, I'm glad that it's expanding. This has gone by so fast, and we are out of oh, time. But I wanted oh to, gosh. I wanted to ask you: Is there any? I wanted to give you one more opportunity. Like, is there anything that we didn't touch on? where you were like, I cannot walk away from this conversation without saying this one thing. Yes.
1: So, okay. you, you know, what I really want to um, impress on everyone really is, you know, the reason we talk about these things, the reason we do this work is, and we talk about, you know, end of life anxiety, existential anxiety. And the the reality is, I think all of us know at some level that we're all going to die and we mm-hmm. don't know when. Right. We don't know when we can pretend if we drink our green juice and exercise that we're extending life, but we don't actually know that shit happens all the time. And so, like, really, I just want to impress that, you know, if you're feeling that, if you're having that urgency of like that, that awareness, instead of having it be a depressing thing or a downer, it's like that can be used to fuel your life to not put shit off anymore. Like if you're interested in this, go explore it, go investigate. If you're wondering these things, the time is now Mm -hmm. because we don't know when. And there is a balance between planning for the future and fully living in the present. And it doesn't mean we chuck out planning for the future, but to really embrace the preciousness of this life, because we have no idea how much longer we're going to be here. Yeah. I
0: love that. Thank you so much, my dear. Um, I'm, This could have been like a three hour conversation. I'm going to have to have you back on. <laughs> All of the links are in the show notes uh, to back yeah. to Anna's on, uh, Anna, excuse me, um, on a site and to, tell everyone where, like, what's the best place to find you these days?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm the host of the rebel Buddhist podcast. So you could check that out. And the program I'm talking about is AdventureMastermind.com. So if you want to explore that program, but otherwise, yeah, come and have a listen to the pod or my name.com on has all the things, all the things, all the,
0: all the topics on all of your certifications Great and PhDs stuff, and all, all that, that
1: kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: Well, thank you so much, my dear listeners. Thank you for sharing your time with us. and. And sticking with it, I value your time so much and I'm so honored that you choose to spend it with my guests and I, yes, I, I was going to say me. I'm like trying to get my grammar correct.
1: <laughs> good for you.
0: <laughs> I guess. And I, and remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hi there. Swinging back by to say one more thing. You know how I'm always giving advice over here on the show and on social media, and a couple of those things is that I'm always telling you to ask for what you want, be clear about it, and also ask for help. So I am taking a dose of my own medicine, and I'm going to do that right now. It would be the absolute best and mean the world to me if you reviewed and subscribed to this show, Make Some Noise podcast, on whatever podcast platform of your choice. And even more importantly, it would matter so much if you shared this show. Sharing the show is one of the few ways the podcast can grow, and that also gives more women an opportunity to make some noise in their lives. You can do that by taking a screenshot when you're listening on your phone and sharing it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. If you're on Instagram, you can tag me at hey Andrea Owen, and I try my best to always re-share those and give you a quick thank you DM. And also, you can tell your friends and family about it. Tell them what you learned. Tell them a really awesome guest that you found on the show that you started following. Whatever it is, I appreciate so much you sharing about this show.